Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And now, here's this week's message. Amen. I'm going to ask Lynn if she would continue to play just a minute, and we're going to pray together. And maybe this morning I want to invite you to come to the front if you'd like. Uh, We're going to pray for our church, our country. Uh, Many folks in our congregation that have needs, so if you want to slip out of your seat, feel free to come join me at the front. Uh, We're going to pray together. Anybody? Anybody? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we come to you this morning. Desperate for you, Jesus. Thank you that your name is wonderful. You are the mighty king. You are master of everything. Lord, I just want to say to you this morning, I confess my need of you. As we look at your word in just a minute, God, we are reminded of the condition of the world in which we live. It needs your hand on it. It needs your intervention. And so we pray today, Lord, for our country, for our world. We pray for our church with a huge future ahead of us and many decisions that we still need to make. God, we pray that you would give us your supernatural wisdom. and Lord, that you would lead us. Because, Lord, if you don't lead us, We're in big trouble. So we pray for your direction today. Thank you for the men and women, the young people, the children of this church. Have a desire to seek after you, God. We thank you so much for that. Would you bless our time together today and speak to our hearts. And we'll thank you, God, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. While you're turning in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, let me remind you very quickly of a couple of things. Uh, it seems every week I get home and I go, oops, I forgot to, to remind everybody of that because we have so much going on in the life of our church. We're in the midst of nominating those for deacons, and so you should have gotten the slip uh, in your bulletin. If not, you can grab one at the doors and fill that out and uh, turn it in to the office this week, and we'll make sure those names are added. Uh, so just want to remind you of that. And uh, Also, Ronnie mentioned uh, about praying on September the 18th uh, in the evening at 5 o'clock. We have about 10 homes uh, in our congregation, families that are opening up their homes on that evening for us to do nothing else but to come together and pray. And um, I want to encourage you to be at one of those homes. And we'll be publishing that list in the next few weeks and give you an opportunity to pick which place you want to be. If you want to be with your small group, some of our small group leaders are hosting that, uh, but it'll be on September the 18th. This is an opportunity for us to pray together, which is so very important about the future of our church. Uh, Speaking of prayer, I know some of you were praying with me this past week. Uh, I had the privilege to uh, be with about 170 young people uh, in Florida uh, for a youth camp, and uh, I wanted you to see... um, that's them at the altar. 
uh, one of the services, kind of sideways, but you can see it there. That's them at the altar. Uh, about 170 in attendance. I think there are about 65 students that made decisions for Christ. And uh, lest you think, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Uh, lest you think that God is not at work in our world, He is. He is, despite the darkness of it. And we're going to talk a little bit about the darkness of our world this morning and uh, hopefully give us some handles on how to get through it. And so if you wanted to put a title on the message today, it would be, How Do We Get Through Perilous Times? Terrible Times. So let's look at it together. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says to Timothy, Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Let me just stop right there. Uh, if you've got the, uh, I believe the King James Version says, perilous times. That is a descriptive word, and it's a great word to describe what we see in our world right now. And you'll have to remember that when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, more than likely, he was in a cell. He was a prisoner of the Lord when he wrote this letter. And yet, here he is a prisoner, and what's on his mind? He's still preoccupied with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's paramount to him. That's what's most important to him, though he is probably in a jail cell and a prisoner of the Lord. His mind is on the evil at the end times and trying to encourage his young brother in the faith, Timothy. And he uses this word, perilous. Um, I started looking up that word to see where else that's used in the Bible. The word perilous has the ideas of troubles, uh, difficulties, stressful situations. Uh, it, it is going to mark the last days. The Bible tells us all throughout the New Testament that word perilous will mark the last days. But it's actually only used uh, in one other place in the New Testament. That word perilous as it's used right here in this particular place. And it's used with the story of two people who were demon-possessed, who were acted as savages uh, in the book of Matthew. when he describes that, that they were so fierce that people could not pass around them because they were so fierce and overcome by the enemy. Perilous times. And Paul here is not just talking about perilous times, but we're going to discover as we read a little bit further, he's talking about perilous people. And we live in a world where the times are perilous and difficult, but people are also perilous and difficult. And so what we need to note as we read these following verses in just a second is that Paul is not just um, describing the times, but he's also describing people. And what we should also note is uh, the hardness or danger of the time, in Paul's view, is what's most important. Not things like war or famine or disease or any other calamities that might be around, but his concern is on the evil that is in the world. That's an encouragement to me. There are a lot of things going on in our world that we could put our attention on. There are wars, there are diseases... There's pandemics, there's all these things, and yet Paul says to Timothy in this book, the most important thing to keep your eye on is the evil that's going on in the world. And so it calls for us to, to believe, I believe, to do three things. And the first one I want to talk to you about this morning is to be discerning. Discerning. Perilous times call for us to be discerning. In the last days, Paul tells Timothy, in the last days these difficult times are going to come. Many of us have heard that term, last days. It's a broad term in the New Testament that you could start with uh, Pentecost because it was mentioned all the way until when Jesus returns. You could say those are the last days. For sure you could say that. But it's more appropriately, appropriately used for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. They thought at any moment 
When Paul wrote this to Timothy, at any moment, Jesus could return. And here we are in the year 2022. And some of us would look at what's going on in the world and say, how much worse can it get before the windows of heaven open and Jesus Christ comes back? I believe any moment, I'll just be honest, any moment could happen. We are in the last days. And yet the reality is, a lot of us don't believe we're in the last days. Some of us, maybe uh, a writer said this, there are some, uh, Charles, the great Charles Spurgeon said this, there are some sanguine brothers who are looking forward to everything getting better and better until this present age ripens into a wonderful millennium. They won't be able to sustain their hopes for Scripture gives them no solid basis to rest that fact upon. Apart from the second return of our Lord, the world is more likely to sink into pandemonium than to rise into a wonderful millennium. How true. How true. But, but there are a lot of people on the planet that think we're going to just evolve into some great utopia. There are a lot of church people that think we're going to evolve into some great utopia. Church family, we are in the last days. Be alert. Be on guard. We're in the last days. Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel tells us in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus actually rebuked the religious leaders of the day because they were not looking at the current surroundings as if it was the last days. As a matter of fact, here's what he said to them. You guys are hypocrites. Well, I threw in the you guys, but Jesus said you guys are hypocrites. <laughs> Matthew 16, he said, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the sign of the times. Discern, discern, discern. Discernment is very, very important. And I believe, church family, we cannot go on with business as usual because the world is not operating as usual. Things are getting more difficult, more perilous. I was sharing with some folks this week at the camp I had the privilege to go and be at. And by the way, anytime I get that privilege to do, I go as a representative of Crossroads Baptist Church. There were several other pastors there I got to encourage, and student pastors. One student pastor, by the way, I would encourage you to pray with. He sat and wept with me. His name is Paul. He's about 26 years old. Just really getting going in the ministry. Been married four years. His wife struggles hugely with depression. And he shared with me, he said, she just left. Mentally, she's just not all there. She just packed her bags and left, and she wants a divorce. And now here I am, just starting the ministry. Had a great future ahead of me. And if she winds up filing for divorce and that happens, then this will be this... Big spot on my resume, and here I am just now serving in my first church. And I said to him, my dear friend, these are perilous times. The enemy is at work. And some of us act like everything is going on as normal. No, my dear friends, the enemy is at work, even more so to try to prevent and thwart what the kingdom of God has in mind, what Jesus has in mind. We cannot go on with business as Usual And as bad as the last days are, there are some good news. There is some good news. Because God also says something to us in His Word about the last days, and He says some good things in the book of Acts chapter 2. Here's what God says to the children of God as His promise in the last days. He said, And it shall be in the last days. I will pour out My Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men will have dreams. I will pour out my spirit in those days. So though the world is dark and though it is perilous times, look out because Jesus is ready to do something big. If we will tune in and see what it is that he wants to do. I know I see you shaking your head. 
You're thinking, we're not letting you go out of town again, because every time you go out of town, you come back fired up. I know. I know. I told him at the end of camp, I'm like, man, I'll have to restrain myself Sunday morning, because you guys have fired me up. You get 170, and Heath knows, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of you, brother. You get a, a hundreds of kids pumped up on Jesus who aren't old enough to have disbelief creep into their life as they get older and older because they start doubting and they start getting more mature. Who still have childlike faith and believe what the Word of God says. You get a bunch of teenagers charged up like that, look out. This is why children's ministry and student ministry is so important. Adult ministry is important too. But the older we get, sometimes we tend to doubt what God's Word says. Just like people in the Bible. When Jesus said, hey, I'm coming back, and then He died and He rose, He reappeared to them and said, hey, I will be back, but until I come back, I'm going to send one to be with you, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And people are waiting and waiting, and we start thinking, maybe He didn't really mean what He said. Oh, He meant what He said. We're just on His timetable, not our timetable. So in 2 Timothy, Paul is saying, hey, what happened because these people don't believe? He's trying to say to, to Timothy, hey, in the last days we're going to have difficult and perilous times. Here's what's going to happen, though, because people aren't believing. Num verse number 2, men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power and avoid such men as these. Wow, that's a laundry list. And all of us probably would say as we read through that list... Yep, 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 yep. That describes, that describes our world right now that we're in. Men will be lovers of themselves. It's definitely a characteristic of the age that we live in now. Matter of fact, society encourages us to love ourselves. Nothing wrong with loving ourselves. But when we love ourselves to the point that we become the God and we're all important, then we have a problem. We love ourselves so much, smile, that we take selfies. I was thinking about that this week. Well, it's so true because we even have a culture that we're all about selfies because we love ourselves so much. And what the writer is trying to say here, what Paul is trying to say here is love of self really in reality, if you think about it, is the foundation for all the other depravity that follows Paul's description because you put self on the throne and you become all-important. And you, when you put lovers of yourself, then everything else revolves around you. Love of self really becomes the, basics, the basic of sins. Somebody said it this way, the moment a man makes his own will the center of life, divine and human relationships are destroyed, obedience to God and charity to men become impossible. And the essence of Christianity is not the enthronement, but the obliteration, or should be the obliteration of self. Jesus said to deny yourself. And yet we live in a world where people become lovers of themselves. And lovers of money, he says. Men will become lovers of money. That's nothing new. Today people have an even bigger desire to pursue the love of money. I saw this article 
recent newspaper article is this woman, I don't know if you heard about this, her name is Brenda Blackman, and she enjoyed a pretty good success teaching this course, How to Marry Money. The cost of the course, the cost of the course was $39. In the course, she offers all these hits, hints about how to search through your prospective mate's checkbook or his online account to study his deposits and figure out his uh, income level. And she builds her followers' confidence by leading them in a chant when she has these seminars around the country saying, I want to be rich, I deserve to be rich, I am rich, I was born to be rich. In one class, this lady asked her if it was all right to settle for a man whose income was about $100,000 a year, and she said, no way. The lady said, well, what if he was perfect in every other way? And she said, if he was in peak earning years and he was maxed out at $100,000, forget it. When someone actually asked her, the director of these workshops, Miss Blackman, when they finally asked her about love and finding a mate and all this, she uh, They said, how could you not love someone who's doing all these wonderful things for you? They discovered that she was single as she taught these courses. (laughs) Very interesting, isn't it? Lover of money, a lover of ourselves. He he goes on, Paul says to Timothy, men will become and women will become boasters, proud, blasphemers, blasphemers. Basically, when we do that, we say, you don't matter, God doesn't matter, only... Only I matter. Men will be disobedient to their parents. I mean, we've seen that happen since the 60s, the obliteration of being a parent and children kind of getting more respect than parents. I mean, even you may remember not too long ago, a judge in Orlando, Florida, ruled that an 11-year-old boy could divorce his parents because he didn't think that they were giving him everything that he wanted as an 11-year-old. What? We live in a crazy world. Paul says to Timothy, men will become unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Unloving means without family love. Paul said that the end times will be marked by an attitude of growing disregard for normal love of family. And I would say even growing regard of church, love of church family. Men will be slanderers. They'll have truthful, hurtful lies told about them. We see that in the business world, we see that with big money, we see that in politics where candidates routinely spend gargantuan, ungodly amounts of money promoting lies about their opposition in hopes of getting uh, elected. He says, men will be without self-control. And the story of having no self-control can be written about almost every aspect of society from sex, drugs, alcohol, food, it doesn't matter, whatever it is being out of control. Here's a question I wrote down in my notes as I read this list. Jack, Pastor Jack, big boy, where are you lacking self-control? Can I ask you the same question? Where are you lacking self-control? Because Paul says to Timothy, this is an indicator, this is a sign we're in the last days. When people begin to live this way, when people begin to live brutally, I can't think of a time in my lifetime where people are living with such brutality and cruelty, physical and otherwise. There was something on the news recently described how a man murdered his roommate after the two disagreed over the brand of soft drink they were going to order at a restaurant. People are cruel. It's a sign of the times. It's a sign that we are in the last days. Men will be despisers of good, he says. There was a time when most people thought that life was a gift of God. 
And now here we are in an era where you can take life away. And not just through things like abortion and infanticide, but even the conversations of ending, God forgive us, the lives of senior adults when we think they're no longer effective on the planet. Really? The creator of the world must look down sometimes on creation and weep to think how far we have drifted. Men will be traitors. Headstrong, haughty lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. Church family, are we more lovers of pleasure than we are of God? I'll be honest, that's a hard question to ask. Am I concerned more about my pleasure than the will of God? That's not just to ask the question to the people out there, but it's a question that we have to ask ourselves in here. Are my desires more important than what God wants? I mean, it's hard because culture is sending this message that, that our pleasure is most important. I was looking online at just some of the advertising slogans that have been in companies just in the last decade or so. Here's, here's a few of them. And it seeps in young people through technology and through media, and we don't even know that we're being brainwashed. Here's some of them. Nothing is taboo. Break all the rules. These are slogans from nationally known companies. No, no boundaries. Relax, there's no rules here. Live without boundaries. Find your own road. The message is basically the same. You make up your own rules. You're your own God. You don't answer anybody. You're the only one that matters. You know, your universe revolves around you. You don't really have to choose between pleasure and God because the writer of Psalm, David said in Psalm 16, at your right hand, God, are pleasures forevermore. It actually is pleasurable to serve God, the master of the universe, our mighty king, as we just sung about this morning. But we do have to choose between the love of pleasure and the love of God. And living for God is going to give us a lot of great pleasures, but they only come as we love God first and we refuse to love pleasures first. And then he says something interesting that's going to be happening in verse 5. There will be people that will hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power and avoid such men as these. And we see that in today's world. In our self-obsessed world, people kind of have this idea of a, of a salad bar religion that we kind of pick and choose off the salad bar what we want. The parts of God's Word we like, we'll accept those. And the parts of God's Word that we don't like, well, that doesn't apply to me. And we see that in our world. Some of you are old enough to remember, I don't even know if she's still around or not, the column that used to appear in the newspaper. Young people, you might not remember this. There was a lady named Abby, and there was this, or her name actually wasn't really Abby, I don't think, but it was the Dear Abby column, and people would write into her and get her advice. A 63-year-old married woman wrote to her one week and said, uh, Dear Abby, I've met a man. He's also married. We meet once a week at a motel for a few hours of heaven. My husband doesn't know anything about this, neither does my lover's wife. Me being with my husband's better now, even though it's not, uh, it's not as though I'm denying my husband anything. I teach a class at church every week, but for some reason I feel no guilt. We chuckle, church, but can I ask you, can I ask me, 
By the way, I run all these questions by my, at myself before I throw them out to you. What are you doing that's contrary to God's Word? And you think God doesn't notice. Or you think He's forgotten. That's denying the power in the form of godliness. What, what Paul is saying here is the power of godliness that men are going to despise in the last days is the power that it's supposed to have to guide our lives. And sometimes we only let it guide us on Sunday and then we walk out the door and we flip a switch and we let ourselves guide ourselves till it's time to hear it again. So why am I saying discernment? Because we have to use discernment to get through these situations, these perilous times. And by the way, discernment is not just choosing young people between good and bad. Oh, if it was that simple, it'd be really simple. Discernment sometimes is choosing between good things and God things. Because oftentimes we settle, church, for second best. God has a plan for us, and we sometimes don't have enough faith or belief, so, oh, God, we'll, we'll shoot for here. We're in the last days. There's no time to settle for God's second best. I'm not doing that. If that's what you're looking for, it's time for me to pack my bags and hit the road, Jack. I'm just going to be straight up. I do not want God's second best. I want God's best. I want his best plan for me. I want his best plan for my family. I want his best plan for my friends in this room. I want his best plan for our church. I do not want to settle for second best. How do you, how do you know what God's best is? Discernment. Discernment. It's not a word we talk about often anymore. If, if you're wanting me to teach you discernment, I, I can't do that. You have to get into God's Word. You have to spend time with God. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. You have to pray. And you have to allow God to give you discernment. It's not like a little package that we can package up and just say, have a slice of discernment. I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't work that way. It only works in our relationship with Him. And I'll just be honest, church, we have to keep our eyes focused on what matters. We have a lot of decisions in the future of our church that are going to impact generations of people. And they will look back at not only the pastor and the pastors, but they will look back at the congregation and determine, wow, they really settled. Or they will either say, wow, what a mighty group of men and women of faith and vision and belief. So we can't make those types of decisions based on how we feel or what we've done in the past or what we think. We need the, we need the Almighty God to give us His direction. It's great for us to have an opinion, but we need God's discernment. Let, let me, can I be honest with you this morning? Let me give you a couple of examples of where even we, as a staff, I'll say even more so myself, struggle sometimes where we need discernment. Because we have within our congregation however many people, 200 people, let's give or take a few. And we all have our ideas and opinions. Well, which one really matters? Well, ultimately, only God's opinion matters. But it's collectively, us together collectively sifting through using discernment, prayer, wisdom, relationship with one another, encouragement to get to figure out what it is that God's trying to tell us. We just celebrated the 4th of July. I am a... 
uh, patriotic American. This, I'm just giving you an example. But above beyond an American, I am a Christian. I am a child of God. I struggle with us. I'm being 100% transparent with you this morning. I struggle with some of the patriotic things that we do. Outside fireworks stuff that we did Saturday before Sunday, July 2nd, last Saturday. That's great. That's fine. What Colonel Tim Drewell shared, that's fine. But have you ever thought, and maybe you haven't, so maybe this is a teachable moment for all of us. Have you ever thought, what if there's someone visiting in the worship service on that particular Sunday who's not an American citizen? But they're a citizen from the Dominican Republic. Or they're a citizen from Malawi, Africa. Which we're hoping our missionary friend, Pastor Mark, will soon be here in our midst. And what if they show up on a Sunday where we're saying, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Does their Christianity all of a sudden not fit? I would submit to you that, no, it wouldn't fit. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. I'm not saying I'm not a patriotic American. I think we live in the best country on the face of the planet, and I've been to a lot. But what I'm saying is using discernment that just because today, as I look around the room, it looks like all of us are from the United States of America, doesn't mean every Sunday that's going to be the case as God grows our church and more and more people from around the world move to Greenville, South Carolina and decide to come worship here. And I don't want to do anything as one of the leaders of this church to put an obstacle in front of them that keeps them on that particular Sunday from opening up their heart and worshiping God. That's discernment. Didn't tell you it was easy. It's not. Hopefully that makes sense for you. It's difficult. But in the last days we need discernment. What else do we need in the last days? We need to be deliberate. We need to be deliberate. Paul gives Timothy some pretty strong words. Because he says to those people, those laundry list of people that he described in verses 2 through 5. He finally gets down to verse 6. He says, For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, never able to come to the truth. He keeps talking about all these people. In some translations you may have this morning, he talks about getting away from those people. Just turn away from those people. Actually, it's the end of verse 5 when he talks about people who deny God's power. Avoid such men. That's not a suggestion. The language there is actually a command. Avoid such people. Some translations say, turn away from such people. Be deliberate. Be intentional. What's so scary, church family, and you know this better than me, you're out in the work world, the school world, you're out in the world every single day of the week, you, you know this better than me. People who do the things that are on this list that Paul just described to Timothy are oftentimes the heroes in our culture. And those are the ones that we elevate. And then we wonder, what's going on? Paul is telling Timothy, hey, there's a responsibility here for us as believers to turn away from those attitudes. Some people may say, you know what, it's enough if we just say we're not going to be like them. We can still hang out with them as long as we're not like them. But here's the, here's the challenge with that and the difficulty. 
If we start spending time with people like that, I'm not saying don't be salt and light. I'm saying living, hanging out, doing a lot of time and hanging out with them a lot. Either personally, we will be swept away and they will influence us. You say, how do you know that? Because Paul says that to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So Paul is telling Timothy, turn away from those people. Why does he tell them that? Because he goes on to say in verses 6 and 7, this sort of thing is slowly creeping in, which is a great word he uses there. He says, it's creeping into households and making captives of gullible women who are loaded down with sins. And Paul knew the dangers that were going on in his day, and he knew they would be increasingly present in the last days before Jesus. However, he seems especially concerned that those ideas are starting to creep into households. Church, listen to me. It's one thing when those things that we described or, or he described in the first few verses are present in the world. It's a totally different thing when they start creeping into your household. And that's exactly what they do. They creep in. Nobody opens the door and says, let in immorality into my house. Let in improper things into my house. Come on, impurity. Come on in. Come on, things that will destroy my marriage. Come on in. Nobody openly does that. Unless you're not all there. They slowly creep in. It's a subtle thing that creeps in. And you may read that going, now why did Paul call out the women to do that? Why is he just picking on the women? He's not just picking on the women. He's emphasizing the women because at that point in history, women most of the time were the ones at home and the men were on the battlefield. And the women were in charge of the household as far as making sure nothing impure came in. And there were people, deceivers, just like there is in 2022, who wanted to sneak in and get into the household. And they knew if they could just get in there and twist the mind of the lady, then when the husband came home, his whole house would be wrecked. There are people right now that are trying to sneak in and creep in. By the way, if you get any email from any of the church staff, or appears to be from the church staff, you need to make sure you look at the email address, because there are people currently, as, as early as this past week, who are trying to scam and look like Joey, myself, Heath, and Kayla, sending out emails to people. And it looks legit, so you better read it. And if they're asking for money, you can be sure it's not from us, because we'd never do that by email. But that's what's happening. There are scammers. There were scammers then in history, there's scammers now. And they want to creep in. And so what Paul is saying is, yes, there are people on this list that do all that, that litany list of things that he mentioned who are outside the church, but he's also saying, not only is it in the culture, but people who are doing those things on the list are in the churches. Church family, I will fight until I am dead to protect the unity and the heart and the purity of our church. Because if you ever allow that stuff to come into the church, we're done. Might as well put a for sale sign out front and let's just go home. I hope you agree with me because you're quiet this morning. I know this is tough stuff to hear, but I didn't write it. Take it up with Paul when you see him in heaven. There are people who are determined to thwart the work of God. The Bible tells us that. Sign of the end times. It's a sign of the last days. And we don't have time to appease those kinds of people. 
We are on a mission. God has Crossroads Baptist Church on a very important mission. We have no time to chase secondary things. We have no time to waste. We have no time to get in arguments. We have no time not to be unified. We have no time to not be seeking God. We have no time not to be deliberate. Too much is at stake. We can't have the attitude, well, I I know Jesus, everything is fine with me. Praise God you do. But there are tens of thousands of people within a rock's throw of this church who don't know Jesus. And God has put us here as a church to be a lighthouse to those people. And I don't want him coming and saying, I'm going to remove that lampstand because it's not shining too bright anymore. And you don't want that to happen either. I don't want to answer to God. But I don't want to answer to the people who used to be at Crossroads Baptist Church who are in heaven right now. I'm privileged this morning to be wearing a jacket. I know I look nice. I know I do. You can tell me. From the late, great Jim Curtis. And this past week, in one week, in one week, At the camp I was at, my instructions were through two worship services a day to take the teenagers through the entire book of Hebrews in one week. And when we got to the chapter where it was talking about the great cloud of witnesses that are watching, when I went back to my room, I started weeping. Yes, there's there's the great cloud of witnesses like Abraham and Noah and Jacob and all those people that are in heaven. But there's the great cloud of witnesses from Crossroads Baptist Church that are looking, I believe, watching to see what are you guys going to do? Honoring God is paramount. Yeah, but what about all the other people who made an investment for us to be the light of Christ? Are we going to be deliberate or are we going to play games? I I believe this church is not going to play games. Or I would have packed up and been gone a long time ago. You guys are my people. I've been looking for y'all for 53 years. Where in the world you been? You should expect church from us, from the leadership and the staff of this church. You should expect us to be staying focused on the mission. Making disciples that serve, shelter, and support the transforming work of Christ. And if there's ever a time we get off point and that's not our mission, you need to pull us aside and say, can I have a conversation? Because we seem to be be drifting here on what our church is supposed to be doing. And I'll go on record right now, and I think I can speak for the staff, but if not, for sure me, I know I can speak for the staff. If you ever see that, you need to pull us aside and say, "Are are we on point? Are we just wasting the church's money and church's time? I hope not. These things are creeping in, Paul tells Timothy, into homes and people are being led away. And and once again, we see in Scripture, this is scary, where Paul calls out the names of two individuals. And it's not for a good reason. Because he says in verse 8, 
verse 7, he says, some of these people always seem to be learning, but they don't ever, they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses. And if you go back and you study that story in the book of Exodus, those two were guys who totally opposed what Moses was trying to do, such to the point that uh, it, was, it was a pretty big battle, as a matter of fact. You can read it in Exodus chapter 7. They resisted Moses, but what was so scary was Moses would take the rod and the staff and do miracles, and some Somehow, through witchcraft and through the enemy, these two guys were actually able to do miracles as well. They were more like parlor tricks. And so when Moses cast his rod down and it turned into a serpent, they're like, oh, we can do that. And so they cast their rod down and it turned into a serpent. When he turned water into blood, they did the same thing. When Moses brought forth a plague of frogs, they tried to do the same thing. Yet eventually... You go back and read it. It's pretty awesome. Wish they make a motion picture of that. But it was one on one, you know, going back and forth. And eventually they realized, okay, we're out. We fold. We're no match for the God of the universe. Because they realized their occultic powers were no match for God's power. And church family, I believe, is the future role zone. We're going to see a lot of quote-unquote, spiritual powers happen in the world, and a lot of people are going to be pulled aside, hook, line, and sinker, and they're going to buy it because it looks all, you know, powerful and huge, and it looks like a work of God, but it's not going to be a work of God. It'll be a work of the enemy. How do you know, Pastor? How do you know? Discernment. Discernment. And the Bible says that even those who are followers of Jesus in the last days will be lured away by deception. I think I've mentioned this before. How do you know you're being deceived? You don't. That's why it's called deception. You don't. So we've got to be discerning. Terrible times call for us to be discerning. They call for us to be deliberate. They also call for us to be decisive. Some of us need to make a decision today. Maybe your decision is to give your heart and your life to Jesus. Maybe your decision is that you're going to start focusing on the things that matter. I don't know what God's laid on your heart that your decision needs to be, but Paul goes on to tell Timothy, after giving him that laundry list of things that are happening with the corruption in the world at the time, he gives him some encouragement. So I want to give you some encouragement this morning. Because I think this is true of the majority of Crossroads Baptist Church. Here's what he says. But you, Timothy, verse 10, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. You followed my persecutions and my sufferings, such as the things that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, where the persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What a great encouragement. Timothy, all these things that are going on, people being unloving, disobedient, lovers of self, lovers of money, that's out there. But you, not you. Because you follow my teaching, my conduct, and my purpose. Church family, we've got, we've got the teaching to follow. It's right here in this book. Do we know it? Are we going to be decisive and follow it? I hope so. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we are in terrible times and we know it. 
with all the terrible things that are happening, there is a God who's at work. Thank you that you are. Father, I pray this morning as we think about what your word says to us. Now more than ever, perhaps we need that gift of discernment. God, I, I, at least I do. A lot of things look like they could be good decisions, but we want to make God decisions. So I pray you give us your wisdom today. Lord, would you help us to be deliberate? There's no time to waste. We don't have time to have setbacks. We don't have time to go have second chances to step out this way and go, oops, we messed up. That may happen. If it does, that's okay, but we'd rather not. Help us to be deliberate. Help us to be intentional. Lord, I believe that, and I hope, that your word's spoken to us today. I know it's spoken to me this past week. Would you help us be decisive? Not indecisive. Not wishy-washy. Not, as James says, double-minded or tossed upon the waves to and fro. Lord, I know the only way we can be decisive is to hear a clear word from you. So God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts right now, even in this moment. Church family, I'm going to be quiet for just a moment just to ask you if you would right there in your seat to do business with the Lord. I don't know what that looks like for you. This past week at the camp when I said that, spontaneously students would just stand up and start praying right there for where they were. Where they were. They'd do business with the Lord, and then they'd sit down when they were done. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Some of them would slip out of the seat. They'd come down to the front and get on their hands and knees and cry and weep for Jesus. Maybe that's what we need to do this morning. I'm going to ask Lynn just to continue to play for a moment, give you time to... Time to ignore the distractions that may be on your mind and heart right now and just say... Holy Spirit of God, please speak to me right now. And when he does, will you obey? Father, I pray you have your way during this time of invitation. As we stand to sing in just a minute, God, would you speak to our hearts? Help us to be obedient. Help us to decide. If there's anybody in this room today that needs to make a decision for Jesus, to surrender their lives to Jesus, I pray that they would do that today. Not to decide is to decide. If you're knocking on the door of our heart with any decision and, and we say or our response is well I'll deal with that later but not now that, that in, of, in and of itself is a decision help us to hear help us to answer help us to obey Lord I thank you so much for the friends in this room I thank you for what we're going to see you do through us and accomplish through us for your glory Lord encourage us empower us Speak to us right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you would stand to your feet.
Joey's going to lead us in a song of invitation. simply means if God spoke to your heart during the service in any way, maybe through the prayer, the music, the message, then you slip out if you need to and respond as God leads you this morning. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.